to actions antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. One of the things that keeps us kind of sequestered, keeps us kind of stuck in lifestyles that we don't really want is this idea of a one-size-fits-all solution that is supposed to be applied to everyone. And I think of this solution, in my view, as the traditional solution of you get your job, you get your paycheck every two weeks, and you buy a big house, and you fill it with just lots of stuff that may or may not be bringing people happiness. And now I'm not here to kind of rag on any particular lifestyle. My object here is to kind of open people up to more possibilities that there are other options and there are other ways in which we can orient our lives. One other way is this movement toward tiny homes. And so my guests here today are Dr. Sean Dixon and Megan Bly from Simply Tiny Development. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. So Dr. Dixon, you are the one who started this company. Can you tell me a little bit about inspired you to decide to start developing more tiny homes and also camper vans? I should have specified that in my introduction. No, sure. Absolutely. Well, it all kind of started in my doctoral studies and looking at the ways of the world and where we're going globally. So I finished up my studies in organizational development and leadership with a concentration in change management. And a lot of that was looking at large-scale patterns on where we're going, especially in the workforce. And mm-hmm. burnout and those types of management paradigms are pretty prevalent um, under those types of studies. And then I'm also very passionate about the environment. I live in Colorado. Meg formerly lived in Colorado. She's in North Carolina with very outdoorsy-style people. And we kind of looked at some things and said, all right, how can we make a large-scale impact on what we want to do, especially with pressing global paradigms like climate change and things like that. So looked at real estate, um, had a little bit of a background in that, and then said, okay, here's an opportunity that we can really start changing some larger scale things that could have major impacts. As you know, construction is pretty wasteful. Mm -hmm. And then everything we're seeing with the population increases and the way that the housing market is kind of going right now, up and coming generations are starting to think differently about what is important. And one of those major topics is housing. So providing some alternative solutions that can help the planet and solve a large-scale social problem at the exact same time was kind of the way I took this angle for the company Simply Tiny Development and then launched a couple of years ago and brought Meg on as a full-time sustainability coordinator. Um, that is the, the center of the business model and how everything's guided. So her focus is just to look at all things from a very unique perspective and see how we can be more efficient, how can we use less how we do more with better materials, and then how do we sustain ourselves as people and the environment and then our communities. Interesting. And that's sort of a broader way of looking at sustainability, because when a lot of people think of sustainability, they tend to think of environment sustainability, but the word kind of has a broader definition and it means anything that a system that you can sustain over time. Burnout is a great example of an aspect of our work culture that's not exactly sustainable. So Megan Bly, I'd like to welcome you also to the show. You are the sustainability coordinator. Tell us a little bit about this when oriented, what that means and what you do day to day. Yeah. So a lot of what I do for the company is researching the products that we're using, researching the suppliers who provide those products, because it's easy to sell reusable items, but are you actually sustainable and eco-friendly yourself? So making sure that they're not greenwashed making sure that a big part of my position is looking at, there's always going to be a dilemma of, yes, it's sustainable, but is it sustainable forever? Is it sustainable Mm -hmm. long-term? 
and seeing is it might not be sustainable in two separate situations. There's always going to be, yes, well, this item's sustainable, but this one's also more sustainable like in the long term, just because it's not sustainable right this second may not mean that it's not going to be sustainable over a long period of time. So it's just really battling yourself and your thoughts constantly and just seeing which one outweighs the other and which one's better in the long run. What that brings to my mind is some confusion around the term sustainability, because I'm actually not aware that there's any specific set of standards about what criteria anyone has to meet to assess something as sustainable, whether it be a product, whether it be a business. And it sounds like you're alluding to there's a short-term sustainability and a long-term sustainability and a ramp up to sustainability of some kind. Can you explain to my audience, how does that really work? How would we kind of think about sustainability for more than just this binary, either it's sustainable or it's not type of frame of mind? It's kind of like paper products seem more sustainable, right? Because they are decomposable or they are biodegradable or whatever reason, they seem more eco-friendly, but we essentially have to use way more of them where you have a reusable bag that can be used for such a long time. So essentially looking at that, you think it's sustainable and it is sustainable, but only to a certain extent. And it's the same thing with just any scenario. For example, I am buying a van that we're going to be converting. It's a diesel engine. From the get-go, that looks like it won't be as sustainable because it's a diesel engine. But I'm going to be doing van life for the most part in one location. I'm not going to be traveling constantly. I'm not going to be going and driving hundreds and hundreds of miles every week. So that van, for the most part, is going to be sitting in one location unless I decide to go and travel for a trip at some point. So I see it as more sustainable because I am using an older van. I'm not creating new waste by buying a brand new van. So that's the way it's honestly all up for interpretation, which kind of is this huge dilemma and it confuses everyone, but it's always up for discussion. If you can prove your point and it's a valid point on how it's sustainable, then it very well could be. So Dr. Dixon, what does sustainability then mean to you? What criteria do you assess to really believe that something's sustainable? We have to take a little bit of a broader definition on that. And then we have to apply our organizational principles to those types of standards. So we view sustainability, we define sustainability as meeting the needs of the present without compromising the needs of the future generations or the needs of the future. And that could be from an environmental social perspective. So looking at that, we have to put our guiding principles in place and look at where we're exactly at as far as a company goes. And our two core products are tiny homes and then camper vans. So two dissimilar products yet that are exactly the same functionality wise. So housing is different. We're looking at a lot of different ways to improve things. And that's putting more eco-friendly materials into the builds. Again, construction waste is a huge problem. So stuff that can be reused, recycled, or repurposed, that's the primary driver for what we do there. If we can take it out, proper maintenance cycles, and then replacing it with something of equal or greater value every single time, or something that is some type of biodegradable, looking at a lot of hemp materials, marmolium, and then a lot of air purifying paints, just overall better materials for homes themselves. 
Now, camper vans are a little bit different. Their life cycle, we haven't quite figured out yet. We're using the same materials and things like that, but then we have to look at the end product here, where this van is going to go. And we'd like to loop it back around, bring it back to us, or perform some type of different conversion or some type of upcycling for the vehicle, just repurpose it in some way, shape, or form. That makes sense. And your company seems to, at least at surface level, it seems to have two or maybe even more missions at the same time. You have your environmental issues, the sustainability, but then the tagline that I see on your website says, experience the freedom that comes with a lower cost of living. That kind of alludes to what I was getting at the beginning of this podcast about not being succumb, not being kind of shackled to this one size fits all solution for life. Do you see these both as being under the umbrella of sustainability or do you see them interplaying with each other on a different manner? They both definitely interlock on a sustainability principle. That's a very good question. So as far as the houses and the vans kind of working together, again, it's utilizing the same materials, right? And understanding how we can kind of repurpose things. But lowering the cost of home ownership essentially is simplifying your way of life, enriching your life by simplifying. The less you have, right, the less mental clutter there's going to be, the more you can focus on the better quality of life that you are essentially going to have. Um, And when it comes down to that stuff, I mean, you can look at it just from a a functional perspective. And that is the less you have, the less there is to maintain. We are in a a consumer culture where you have to buy stuff for stuff. Larger houses are expensive. They break. Maintenance cycles are very, very, they're important to maintaining a good stock of housing in the U.S. At one point, it was great to rehab and flip and upgrade and everything else. But we're starting to lose the ability to do that. There's just no inventory. As commodities continue to go up, what we just experienced the fluctuations and all of that. I mean, drove building costs absolutely through the roof. Building larger homes is now going to cost much more. Will we get out of this rut? I'm not exactly sure. The backlog of materials and everything else, now we have to consume more in order to catch up. Now we're tapping into different forests, different areas, different natural resources to try and play catch up to get back to where we were. That's just not possible right now, in my opinion, on the trajectory of where this planet is going with looking at a 9 billion global population. We have to do more with less. We're going to have to get very creative. And in doing so, that's going to be changing the way people look at housing, the way people look at living. A lot of our customers in the camper vans, they're running businesses out of them. We're starting to see a lot of different uses from them. The fires in California, we've had a couple of clients ask for disaster vehicles. A lot of interesting things that have come out of just the past couple of years with COVID and climate change and things like that. So looking and providing some alternative solutions to homes is one way that we can do that. So as far as sustainability goes, yes, you can take a van, it can be an adventure vehicle, or it can be a full-time live-in home. Kind of look at them as stepping stones in a way that can loop back around, especially the tiny homes. For, let's say, a younger couple, that might be a viable option. $100,000, $150,000 home to get you in there, get started. You enjoy the first couple of years of your life, do a lot of outdoors things. These are also, they can be movable. We have them on engineered foundations where they can be taken somewhere else. You can hold on to that home, build equity, all right. Your maintenance costs are generally lower because again, you're not replacing as many. And then you can bring it back around. Let's say you do want to get into a larger home later on down the road. Great. Now we can turn it into an additional dwelling unit or a mother-in-law suite. You have that option. So providing people better ways to build generational wealth. That's why this company actually exists, to build generational wealth through sustainability. And we have to show people that there's an alternative path in doing so and just giving them different options and different ways of viewing the world and different ways to repurpose or provide a different functionality to something that was very linear in the past. That's good to know that these tiny homes 
have the ability to be like picked up and moved to other places because I know living in a few other places is something that's appealing to a lot of people. Now, Megan, as sustainability coordinator, how much of your job would you say is related to this? If I were to simplify it and say that there's environmental sustainability and there's a category called lifestyle sustainability, sounds like what you were getting at. How much of your job goes into this lifestyle sustainability or are you primarily focused on the environmental portion of it? Right now, I'm kind of covering both of those. And a lot of it is instilling it within the workplace. So for example, I only work four days a week with six hour days. We created my work schedule to be able to still have experienced the life that I want to. And I can wake up every morning and have a nice morning, cook a nice breakfast. I can go on a walk on the beach every morning. I'm often time to see the sunset because I live on an island off the coast. So I get the sunrise and the sunset over water every day. So I'm able to see both of them without having to be like, oh, I'm still working or Mm. whatever the scenario is. So like that is a huge portion of living a sustainable life is that I'm able to do the things that I love because I have the time to do them. I'm not continuously saying like, oh, I'm working a 60 hour week. I'm working a regular 40 hour week, but how do I make time for things in the winter when the days are shorter? Mm -hmm. So that's a huge portion of it. And instilling that within our workplace is one big way that we've started and focused on that sustainable life. But yeah, and then we also encourage our team to, if we find a brand that's really sustainable and we like it a lot, we'll share it with our teammates to make sure that they have access to those as well so that we're sharing the knowledge that we've found because ultimately we can't do this by ourselves. So that's a big portion of it is just starting your sustainable life within the workplace. So here's a general question. Dr. Dixon, you talked a bit about how we need to find some creative, innovative solutions as to how we're going to occupy eight, nine, potentially 10. We don't really know how these population projections are going to go. Billion people on this planet. Do you find out that there are some people who are in the sustainability world that are, I guess, undercounting the ability to innovate in the way that you all are doing? I believe so. Yes. And the reason for that is because it's where the focus goes. We're a triple bottom line focused company. And that is why sustainability is the center of our business model. With our focus on that all the time, that's where the innovation comes from because we're constantly questioning our systems, creating new systems, or looking at the status quo. A thing that we normally do is we take a, a good hard look at conventional wisdom. We take the best pieces of that conventional wisdom, and then we totally deviate. And that's how we innovate. That's generally our process for doing so, because there are a lot of good lessons and a lot of good things that come out of conventional ways, but conventional ways will get you conventional results every single time. So you have to diverge from that and really take a hard angle. And a lot of it is trailblazing. It's a lot of unknown territory. It can be slow at times, trying to maneuver through things and figure different things out, see how they work. If they work, if they don't, we have to reflect very, very quickly, come back and say, all right, that wasn't the best way. How can we pivot one more time and do it a little bit better? And one thing I wonder is that a lot of people will look at the conventional wisdom or look at what is, what is currently in order to kind of understand the problem, put it in context before innovating. What is the magic amount of looking at what is and entrenching yourself in what is that prevents you from becoming so entrenched that you can't imagine anything else. 
as you see with some people who have done the same exact job function the same exact way for say 15, 20 years. Is there a magic amount that prevents you from going, being too aloof on one end of the spectrum and too entrenched on the other end? No, there's no hard or fast line for any of that. There's definitely no bright line for doing it. A lot of it is intuition. Dabbling in there, if we get too wrapped up in a problem, we have to have the ability to check ourselves and say we're spending too much time here. Sustainability is very time consuming. And a lot of businesses, I think, stray away from that because, again, if you're just looking at profits all the time, time is money. And when you're doing sustainable things, the viewpoint generally is this isn't making me money. I'm not going to do it. You have to switch the perspective on all that and know that everything in the business is sustainable. That includes profits, long-term profits. You have to take long-term steps in order to realize those long-term profits. Those short-term gains, yes, those are fine. But again, you're going to have short-term results in all of that thinking. So it's really swallowing the pill of saying, all right, we got to take a step back here for a second. We might need to put a little more extra time into thinking about what we're doing and then harness that need for some instant gratification, especially when there's pressures from the business. We just went well, undergoing a capital raise right now. We are a younger company. Our runways and our burn rates, we try to control them as much as possible. So there's, there's always those conventional external pressures from business and the world that will kind of almost like force that focus to, oh my God, here's the numbers. So we have to be very, very strong in our conviction and our why and our purpose to pull ourselves away from that and to look at the real reasons why we're here and the objective and the goals that we're trying to achieve. And Megan is that beacon of light in the company. She is the one who's always firm. She's the rock. And then she'll take a little bit of time and say, hey, Sean, you're spending a little bit too much on this side. Let's bounce back. Let's look at why, what we're doing and the sustainability piece. And the belief that doing the right thing for the right amount of people ultimately lead to the numbers and the figures that we actually want and need to thrive as a business. Uh, the money will come if you're going to do good. And that's what we hold true in our hearts. And that's what kind of drives us and keeps us afloat when times get a little bit tougher, things get challenging, especially with the stutter steps that we have through COVID and supply chains and things like that. Things can get challenging. And Megan, as the beacon of light, do you have anything to say about how people can manage. So we talked about the triple bottom line. And for those that don't know, or didn't listen to how it came up in some of my earlier podcasts, the triple bottom line combines your standard profitability for your individual company with what it means for the people in your organization, as well as what it means for society as a whole, which is where the sustainability comes in. When we're looking at trying to maintain that profitability and maintain the interest or the satisfaction of the investors which is going to pressure people in one way. What is that special formula to even make sure that the investors continue to understand that, okay, we care about your investment. We know we want you to get the rate of return or the long-term expectations you're going to get, but we're not going to compromise these other parts of the triple bottom line, our core mission and, and the why beyond the money that we decided to start this business. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is just like being transparent with people. We fully understand that we're not going to fit with most people right now, to be completely honest. Like our business model, who we are as a company, the level of sustainability that we are forcing onto our customers, because it's like that's what we are. We are forcing sustainability onto people. It's not going to align with everybody. And we know that and we understand that. And that's okay. But just not conforming to that, that's going to be a big portion of staying transparent with people who do invest with us, letting them understand and know that that's a place that we are firm and we will not budge on because that's our portion and that's what we're doing to help the planet. 
and withstanding so strong with those ideals and those that being our ground point, we've attracted so many incredible people. So the people who are invested and have been on this journey with us, they are all for it as well. So it's great because we're just attracting like-minded people and that's, we're just going to continue and continue and continue to do that because they're going to tell their friends and their friends are going to tell other friends. And then it's going to start getting to people who don't have these mindsets. And then they're like, oh, well, maybe I should have this mindset. So I think that's where people are really going to start getting their return is they're going to market for themselves and market for their own ideas that they see in us. I mean, it's not hard to be passionate about it. And so much of it is being passionate either against it or for it. That's the thing. It's you're not in the middle ground. You're either for it or against it. You either think climate change is real or you think it's a scam. (laughs) (laughs) So you're talking about it, whether it's good or bad. And if it's being talked about, at least it's being talked about. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the biggest portion of it is just really staying transparent and letting people know like this is who we are. We aren't changing that. Take it or leave it. And we really hope you take it. (laughs) (laughs) That also involves having to be okay with the people that are going to leave it. And I'm wondering if this has been kind of both with your investors as well as with your customers for that matter, if this has been kind of a more of a self-selecting process of, okay, the the eccentric minded, the outside the box people are the ones that you're going to find. Or if you do have to sometimes say no to potential investors or potential customers who are in the wrong mindset. We've never said no to an investor. (laughs) We've never said no to an investor, but as far as clients go, yes, we have turned down a few that just did not align with us. There was a lot of pressure to just, I just want the cheapest model I can get, especially for a van conversion, which is, I don't care about the stuff. How much is it going to cost? Put the cellulose foam in there, put all the materials that have no repurposable life cycle. They just go into the landfills. And we just got to say, hey, this is the line. You can mm-hmm. step across it, or we're going to say you were not a good fit, and we'll refer you to somebody that's a little bit better for you. And we're totally okay with that. We're not here to force it on you. We're here to give you an alternative path and an option if you would like it. But we're not going to compromise our standards, so we're not in that position to do it, regardless if it does cost us some money. Uphold our reputation and who we are, and that's worth more than any dollar amount that you can ever put on that. Well, I got to say is nice because there's a lot of people who would certainly go the other way on that. And even some people that have a mindset where they're afraid to disappoint people because you're in a way disappointing people. But I think that runs right back into this longer term thinking versus shorter term thinking, because you're disappointing the person right away, but in the long term, everyone's going to be happier. And so my question is, what's the profile of the kind of people that usually are your core customers that really believe in your mission and like everything that you're doing with the waste and everything? That's a good question. So our profile is pretty good, but we tend to see it. It's spread pretty consistently or pretty evenly throughout the triple bottom line. And whether that is the environmental portion, whether that is the social impact or the profit for purpose somewhere in there. So we have a couple of different areas, which makes us very, very lucrative and very attractive in a lot of ways, because you don't have to align with all of them. You can align with just one. If your belief system is strong enough to fall under Mm -hmm. there, then we might be a good fit for you. If you get two out of three, if you get three out of three, then we're the perfect match. A lot of younger people, we're seeing a lot of challenges with kids coming out of college and there's a ton of debt, low paying jobs, things like that. 
And then we're seeing a lot of older people who empty nesters and people like that who are trying to downsize. They're trying to do something a little bit more. That's very popular with the vans and then the homes as well. We're starting to get a lot of traction on, can I put my kids in this if they do want to come visit? Or can I go mm-hmm. live there or stay there when I want to go and visit? So demographics are definitely ego-friendly, I would say would be the number one thing. If you're not willing to compromise on that, then we have a chance of maybe doing some business or doing something like that together. But the people who try just to push that eco-friendly thing out of the way, there's a little bit of leniency here and there. When we juggle these sustainability problems, it's not sustainable if the product doesn't last. So if there is a chemical or if there's a certain sealant that is going to degrade or fail like functional-wise down the road quickly, well, then that's not a sustainable thing that we do. Then we'd have to go ahead and make a decision to say, all right, we might have to take a harsher chemical here to increase the lifespan of the products that we're producing. And Meg and I sit and we weigh those options of what is the best. And we try to look at, okay, what can we do with the chemical? How can it be recycled? And if we do have to use it, that's what we do. Make sure it gets to the appropriate recycling facility where it gets disposed of properly. And that's as far as we can possibly go right now as a company and everything else is to make those difficult decisions in there. But A lot of people are looking at their footprint as far as everything goes, but lifestyle, lifestyle is a big thing. The freedom of movement, not having large mortgage payments, large car payments, insurance, all those things that go with it. They want to be able to move now, especially COVID kind of shook all that up where we can work remote now. So now you can jump in a van and you can travel. You can chase the weather as Meg calls it. You can find it. (laughs) Those 365 days of whatever you're interested in you have that ability as long as you have a good internet connection at this point. So those lifestyle people are are becoming very prominent in that. And then as chemicals and food allergies become more transparent and more relevant in today's world, people are not willing to compromise on that. They want more sustainable products for their families. They understand the long-term impacts of sitting in a home that's off-gassing all the time on their lungs, Mm. which leads to compounding effects. If you really look at it all, okay, well, that's medical bills. That's a decreased level of living. And people are starting to really understand that now of like, okay, what's the net benefit I'm getting out of all of this? When I look at it all the way across the board throughout my lifespan, through my children, I want the highest quality for them. I want the best for them. Starting to really kind of weigh those concerns because again, those alternative paths are now available. Whereas before, That wasn't around, so you just had to accept it. Well, guess what? Now you don't. Now you can increase your quality of life. Yes, there might be some minor inconveniences as far as pricing or something like that goes, but the net tangible benefit is much, much higher than that dollar amount. And Megan, I think about the idea of chasing the weather too, myself as a, first of all, a former storm chaser that's gone looking for tornadoes in the plains. And also (laughs) with this idea of going different places, I live in Denver, but wouldn't mind being elsewhere for say April in the first half of May when we get those freak snowstorms and maybe it's a time to be somewhere else. But anyway, what is your thoughts on the impact that these tiny homes and the camper vans as well will have on the lives of the people who buy them? You can sense the happiness on people when they truly are happy and they're doing everything that they love. You can sense it. It's just, it's a vibe that just radiates off of them. And so I don't know if you've ever been around somebody who does van life. They're usually little adventure groms (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. and they're always outdoors, whether they're hiking, they're usually probably going to be slightly dirty, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) but you know, half the time they're tan because they've been outside as much as they can. And they just can't stop telling you about all these sites that they've seen. And They had a moose in their front yard today, or they hiked a 14, like thousand foot mountain, 
or yesterday they were snowboarding and today they're surfing. So it's just, there's constant and it just never ends positive feedback to them. And they're gaining so much in their own life that they don't need things like in underdeveloped countries where they're just so happy because they have so much in their regular life. They don't need these things. So they're experiencing a different type of happiness, a different type of lifestyle. And that's what you're getting from van life. You're being able to experience, and tiny homes, you're able to experience totally different things. I mean, no one who lives in a van is going to tell you, man, I have the coolest living room. I spend all day in it. They're going to be like, man, I have the coolest deck. I have the coolest deck. I have the coolest front yard. And it's like their front yard is their world. It's the world. Mm -hmm. It's Or it's as far as they can drive their van. (laughs) <laughs> yep. So it might be putting it on a boat and shipping it across the ocean and getting it to a different country. But I mean, for the most part, like the world is at their hands. They're not living in this spot to live in it. They're living in this spot to live outside of it, which is really, really neat. And it's hard to change that mindset if that's what everyone has always been used to. So it's scary. Don't get me wrong. I'm doing it here in a couple of months and I'm terrified. Don't get me wrong, (laughs) but it's awesome. So when I think about what's going on in a lot of people's lives these days, one problem that comes to my mind quite a bit is a problem of loneliness. I've actually seen a lot of the issues we have, some of the suicide, drug addiction, violence, and I see loneliness as one of the key contributors to this. So one of the things I'm wondering is because you're describing the type of person who does the hashtag van life or feel like you're describing as a person who's not really a homebody. What would you say that your company is having an impact on this whole loneliness problem that we're seeing so much, especially in North America, but I can imagine in other parts of the world as well with all this internet communication and everything? It's putting people out of their comfort zone. And I'm not going to say that one thing fits all, but you're continuously doing the same thing. I mean, even I get in a routine and I'll realize like, wow, I haven't done anything in four days. I got to get out of the house. I got to go see people. It's just so easy to get stuck in a pattern, especially with working from home. That's been a huge thing. Like I know certain people are like, I cannot wait to get back into the office. That's like my like night on the town kind of thing going into the office. I get to meet all the people. I get to see all the people. I get to do all these things. They're almost the perfect fit for it because living in a smaller location, they would never be there. They get to go and see and do all these things. And so it's really just getting out of the habit of falling into that routine. These lifestyles are, they're the opposite of a routine (laughs) because there's so much out there. There's so much to experience and there's so much to take in. I mean, I lived in Colorado for three years and I didn't travel much outside of two ski resorts and Denver. And it's like, now that I'm not there, I'm like, what were you doing? You had so many beautiful sights all around you. And it's like, ah, it's just, it's taking advantage of those moments when you have them mm-hmm. instead of looking back on it and being like, oh, man, I missed out. Sorry, Mm -hmm. I feel like I might have deterred from your question. (laughs) Well, that that makes sense. And that reminds me of this idea of kind of life reevaluation. And one of the things that happens is that when we don't periodically reevaluate our lives, it could easily drift based on whatever forces are around you every day in a direction that we had never even really imagined us going in the first place. 
So what do you think is the right frequency? Because I think almost everyone's required to reevaluate their lives once a year at New Year's. And I've heard some people that are doing it constantly. How frequently do you think someone needs to stop, take a break, reevaluate their lives and think in that same question? What am I doing? Why am I doing things this way? Why am I doing this day in, day out, day after day the same way? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you see it pretty often with people who, sorry, I keep reverting back to van life, but it's easier to kind of make the picture really relevant with that Mm -hmm. in this scenario. But people switch to van life or switch to tiny homes. It's usually really abrupt. It's not like, oh, I've been thinking about this for years and now it's the right time. It's like, man, I need a freaking change. And then they do it. It's just so common. They're like, I've just been stuck in this whirlwind of the same thing over and over. And I'm going to just flip my life upside down. And then they go and do it. But I mean, I'm not going to say what the perfect frequency is, but I mean, honestly, that's something that you should visit every single day, Mm -hmm. every single day, because you can sit down every morning and say, okay, what does my mind need? What does my body need? What does my soul need? What does my heart need? And then that's going to really, really direct you if you're doing the right things. If your body needs a rest day, give it a rest day. If your heart needs for you to plant a tree, do that. It's just really staying in tune with who you are and what you need in your day-to-day basis. And a lot of people don't ever ask themselves that. They just get, I'm just going to work, getting my coffee and coming home and taking care of the kids. And they don't sit down and actually like visit what they need to be healthy in their own mind and in their own body. And then you just get so used to not asking yourself those questions that it's when somebody actually looks at you and says, what does your soul need? You're like, no idea what that question even is. (laughs) It's like, I don't know. I don't want to know what my soul needs. (laughs) It's a scary place. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, it's simple as journaling and just saying, okay, this is where I'm at today. And you know, today it might be buying a house with five bedrooms and a property that's 20 acres or it might be living on a beach in a hut. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we could say, I don't want to have a home. I want to force myself to have to travel constantly. I mean, I know somebody who recently did that. He was like, I'm going to force myself to live in a tent. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I can't even tell you how many comments I've seen and how many shooting stars I've seen and how many people I've met. And I'm like, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> Not that I want to live in a tent, but it's just figuring out what exactly it is that you need and then doing that. So it's being transparent with yourself. And a lot of people are not that the last thing that they want to do is actually talk about how they feel or what they want. They're so used to thinking about and doing for others that it's like, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about what I need (laughs) because then I'll need it. (laughs) And that's a common problem. Dr. Dixon, sounds like, was this part of your process in deciding to start Simply Tiny Development, kind of thinking about what you need? 100%, 100%. I really looked at it and going back to the management problems that we are seeing right now, which is the burnout and things like that. How do we sustain our people? When we view everything through a sustainable lens, you ultimately (laughs) increase the quality of your life. When you look at everything through a sustainable lens, you have to take just a very, very different perspective in the fact that everything is so examined. You have to lead this incredibly examined life. So what that ultimately leads to is you questioning the day-to-day interactions that you have, the minute-to-minute interactions that you have, which leads you to the present moment. 
which mm-hmm. is ultimately that we want, all of us want to live in is the present moment. When you're constantly re-examining your assumptions, your beliefs, and your patterns, looking for something better, mm-hmm. you will always be in the present moment and finding something that is better. And therefore you increase the quality of your life. You increase how you live. It's enriched. It's vibrant. It feels so much better. Instead of always being in the future or worrying or something like that, the examination of your life and yourself is one of the most important things. And we take that very, very seriously. Both Meg and I are on every day is personal development. That is what we do is we start with personal development. How are we feeling in today? Normal check-ins. If you're not feeling good that day, take the day off. Go deal with the mental health stuff because it ultimately comes down to efficiency. When you're struggling mentally, you got energy leaks all over the place. You're scattered. You're trying to multitask. That's not efficiency at all. So what we tend to do is say, okay, either we just take the day off or focus on one single task at a time. When you're tired, you're tired. Come back tomorrow. And that's it. The world works like that. Believe it or not, 24 hours is not going to make or break most things. Yes, the critical (laughs) There are times where you need to make a decision, but as far as like stepping off something you're working on for that day to go heal, now we're increasing that curve and the longevity of the person, which ultimately leaves the longevity of the organization, which ultimately leaves the longevity of society, so on and so forth. But it all starts with the individual. And if you're not tackling the personal development things, we have a pretty good saying is of just, we spend more time working on ourselves than we do our jobs. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what happens. We spend a lot of time trying to cover those things, emotional intelligence, working out certain issues, whether that's personal life or whatever it is, those have to be tackled first because ultimately you bring them in and they bleed yeah. every single time. And when that energy diffuses, you're tired. And then guess what? You don't recover for the next day. And that mm-hmm. compounds all the time. And those principles, they apply to everything that we do, whether that's something that we're building, whether that's people our interactions with customers. It's all the same thing. They're very, very universal principles that we can apply. And so far, we've seen amazing results with it. Personally, I've never felt better. I believe Meg is on the same trajectory. Leading an examined life, like just put you in that present moment and that can really change the world and especially the way we work. And I love that way of thinking because that seems to brighten the face of the traditional work culture way of thinking. If you're not here from eight to five, if you're not fully immersed in this, if you have a personal thing, check out the door, like you had a fight with your spouse and you left your house at 7.30. You need to forget that happened until 6.15 when you get home because you're at work. Seems to be the traditional way that the workforce has worked, at least in the 20th century. I do see a lot of that changing and I'm glad to hear that you're embodying that. And it also sounds like these tiny homes and some of these alternate options are giving other people the opportunity to do that too, because I know people nowadays are doing things like driving for Uber and doing the task rabbit, some of the stuff where it may be a little bit tough to afford that five bedroom house on Uber driving salary, but a little bit. <laughs> this may be possible. You could drive for Uber. And I actually once had an Uber driver that told me that he had driven 69,000 miles in half a year because he just drove all the time for Uber and used it to finance ski trips all over the West, like Montana, Idaho, California. My final question I'm wondering is, what would you have to say to people who are either thinking about changing their life up in one kind of way or trying to start up a business? Because oftentimes changing your life up and that examining yourself and that thinking, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? Will lead to saying, oh, I have this idea or this is what I'm really passionate about. I'm going to try starting this. It's not about the achievement. It's who you become in the process. 
That's really what it is. In order to do those types of things, you have to become a different person. That is ultimately more valuable than any hard asset you can ever earn. No multi-trillion dollar, whatever it is, who you have to become to run that business or do that thing. That's what you need to be most focused on and most proud of. And constantly look at yourself and look back at where you are and where you started and appreciate that gap. Because yes, you can make a million dollars, you can lose a million dollars, but guess what? You learn how to make a million dollars. You can do it again. (laughs) You can repeat that. You have the skills. The skills cannot be taken away from you in that whole process. It's the mindset, which you really get out of it all. And you can never spend too much money on personal development. It is the requirement because it is scary. It is absolutely terrifying in a lot of ways, especially depending on how you were raised and whatever beliefs were put into your head as a young child. That's um, a big thing. Those, yeah. Or, or they're all influencing what you're doing right now. You know, mm-hmm. the way you money, the way you view time, what you value, whether that's a big home with a, a white picket fence or a Ferrari in the driveway, all of those need to be challenged to see if that's actually what you, you as a person believe. And that wasn't instilled upon you or in you from a young age. And that's a cultural pressure that is tough to break. But if you do, you find yourself again. And I think the ultimate reward is finding more of yourself of who you are and what you were put here to do. And it sounds like you both found a little bit more of yourselves in the process. Megan, you have anything to add to that? Yeah. And it's really just like not being scared of jumping. I mean, I will Mm -hmm. be the first person to tell you that like I'm impulsive, but I'm like smart, impulsive, (laughs) smart, impulsive. Okay. I guess that's like the best way to explain it, but I'm not going to go and be like, man, yeah, let's go. I don't know, spend a hundred thousand dollars on a car. But if I'm like, oh man, let's buy a van and live in it. I decided that within two weeks or I decided to move cross country in two weeks. I decided to move back cross country within two weeks. I decided to come on with this company and it is shortly after he proposed it. (laughs) (laughs) Literally seconds. And I was like, this is the best thing ever. It's really just not being scared to jump. And a big saying that I've had recently is it's not high risk unless you make it one. So, I mean, you can't be scared to fail. You can't because it's not a failure unless you were just like, oh, well, Now I'm never going to do anything with that knowledge that I just gained. But Mm -hmm. if I buy this van and then I convert it and then I live in it for a month and I'm like, whoa, I cannot do this. I didn't fail. I learned something about myself. I gathered the fact that I do need a little bit more space to feel comfortable. I need a little bit more grounding than moving constantly or whatever the situation is. It's never a failure because you're gaining some sort of knowledge from it. So I think that's like... He has the old adage of learning by doing. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I'd like to thank you both very much for joining us on Actions Antidotes. Really appreciate the way you're facilitating alternate options to the standard narrative of how people are supposed to, or the societal pressure on how you're supposed to live your life, how you're supposed to fill your time and your days. I wish you all the best, everything else. I'd like to... Thank everyone for listening out there. And hopefully you got inspired by some of these ideas about how we can all really kind of look into ourselves on a regular basis, probably every day, and be conscious, be aware of what we're doing, why we're doing it, what does it really mean, and 
hopefully all of us move toward a work culture that's a little bit more natural for a lot of people than the rigid scheduling and having to get that two o'clock cup of coffee because that's the only way you can make it through your day. And of course, end up wasting countless cups and all the environmental waste and the drive-throughs and everything that go along with it, not to knock any of those companies, but I guess I kind of did. <laughs> Sustainability, there it is right there. Like there's a benefit. Got a couple hours off, save some coffee cups. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you very much and stay tuned for more Actions Antidotes. And I hope you all have a fantastic day. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you.